amazing grace. We come today to look at what it means to see and to live Jesus' heart of compassion. And the only reason we can do that is because of his amazing grace in our life. About two weeks ago, as I drove to work on what seemed like yet another interminable day of cold, depressing, wintry weather, you can identify, a bird fluttered in front of my car in a rather haphazard manner, almost ending its life on the hood of my car. In a millisecond, my thoughts turned to, really, bird? Is that the best flying you've got? You are a bird. You were created to fly. You just about got killed, which would have been a really bad life choice for you, and also for you, for me, because my car is white. In the next second, I noticed something I had not yet seen. It was a robin. Ah, listen, a robin, the very first robin I had seen that year. And my monologue did a 180 immediately. Oh, it is so wonderful to see you. You bring such joy and such Hope to my heart. Thank you for being a harbinger of spring. You have made my day. And by the way, sorry, I almost killed you. You see, by seeing just one tiny detail about this small creature, my thoughts and my feelings and attitudes were changed completely. And as we look at this topic of seeing this morning in a few creative ways, we're going to look at three things together. We're going to look at what compassion really is especially the compassion of Jesus, primarily seen by the way he interacted with people on earth. And then using Jesus' example and instruction, we're going to practically think about how more effectively you and I, as individuals, as families, as a church, can act with Jesus' heart of compassion. And then we're going to look at a passage that brings a strong caution about the importance of seeing Jesus in others. Then we're going to hear from a couple of people who are going to share how God has been expanding their hearts of compassion, what they have been learning in their specific season of life. And then we're going to conclude with a very practical spiritual exercise of seeing. So, tighten up those running shoes. Have you got them on? I have mine on. See, they're pink. Thank you. As we continue this series, this is the last in our three-part of this series, when we're learning about actively walking out our faith in our daily lives. This is where the soles of your shoes, along with your hearts, intersect with the needs of those around us. I'd encourage you to look at the back of your bulletin today, where you'll find a few points related to our teaching together, and I hope this might be of use to you in a variety of ways. So let's start. As we read through the Old Testament, it's very clear that compassion is a defining characteristic of God. It is definitely not just something that appears when Jesus appears in human form. In fact, in the Old Testament, compassion is mentioned about 75 times. In Exodus, when God is speaking to Moses at the time that the second set of tablets are being written, he describes himself as the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abiding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And it has been written that this characterization of God as a God of compassion is woven through all of the Old Testament. It runs like a golden thread. And as Christ's followers, these are also the fruits of a life of the Holy Spirit. As I look at that list, I wonder how many of them you see in me 
or you see in yourselves. Compassion, gracious. We love to sing about God's grace. But here's the harder question. Do we exude God's grace? Do we show grace to others? Slow to anger, loving, faithful, and forgiving. I find it interesting in the Passions in Ephesians 4, which is the book that we've been studying so intently, that forgiveness is mentioned right after compassion. Lest we think compassion can simply be this lovely, warm, joyous feeling we have about others. For some of us, if we're honest, seeing some individuals in our lives, seeing them as Jesus sees them, will require that first we forgive. For some of us, that might be the message for today. So on the back of the bulletin, it says, Jesus saw. We're going to look at several passages of scripture. We're going to work hard and fast through this. Jesus saw. We're going to say, who did Jesus see? What did he see in the midst of what did he see? And then he had compassion. The word is used many, many times. And if you want to sit down and read any one of the Gospels, you will find about Jesus' compassion by the use of the word. It appears many times filled with compassion, moved by compassion, both about Jesus and also in some of his teachings, uh, especially the parables that talk about people who move with compassion. A few words in the Bible that are used to mean compassion and denote compassion that we can also identify with are mercy, kindness, goodness, grace, favor. There's part of this word that means something about being moved right down to the pit of your stomach and tender-hearted. Would people see you as being tender-hearted? So let's go. One of the things I should say along with the definition is something that compassion is not. Compassion is not only a feeling. It is not just saying, oh, poor them. Oh, poor you. Compassion always has the word and after it. And we're going to see that in these passages. And if we are truly compassionate people, once we see people as God sees them, there will always be an element of and and an action that follows. It's all about what comes next. It's not, I just feel sorry for you. It's not, oh, poor him. It's not, I don't know how they're going to carry on in this. Compassion clearly is about feelings, but it's also about attitudes and actions. And so when you think about compassion, I encourage you to think about all of those things, your feelings, your attitudes, and your actions. So let's look at a few of the narratives and see what Jesus did when it came to compassion. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Pretty straightforward. Jesus landed and he saw, in this case, he saw a large group of people. There are times when you will feel and act in, about great compassion about large groups of people, about social injustice, about things that are happening in your immediate community that you feel need to be addressed. He had compassion. And what's the end here? He healed. This is physical healing. It's a powerful way that he met their immediate needs. Here's a second one, also from, from Mark chapter 1. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee. He was preaching. He was casting out demons. 
A man with leprosy came and he knelt in front of Jesus and he begged to be healed. And he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion. Have you ever been moved with compassion? This is what Jesus did. He saw this man and then moved with compassion. What's the end? He reached out and he touched him. Take a moment to think about that. He touched somebody who was unclean in all ways. From a societal perspective, from a physical perspective, this person was unclean, this person was infectious, this person had nothing to do with other people. They were totally shunned. And before Jesus healed him, he touched him. There may be people in your life who just need to know that you're going to touch them that you're going to sit beside them, whatever that means. And Jesus was willing to take a risk. Jesus was willing to be proactive to say, I am here for you in the midst of this struggle. And then he healed him. Mark 6. As they tried to do many times in their busy life, Jesus and his disciples went away by themselves to a solitary place, hoping that it would be a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And again, it says Jesus saw, what did he see? A large group of people yet again, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's a different kind of compassion. Why did he have compassion on these people? Because they were lost. And the end for him on this one is he began to teach them. He began to teach them about freedom and about who he was and what he offered to them. He gave them spiritual food. This is another important part of compassion in our lives. Sometimes it's easy for us to give somebody a gift card, but much harder to pair that with the reality of the joy that we have in our life, about the freedom that we've been singing about, about the power of Jesus Christ in our life, compared with something physical. A couple more. We read of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 in a couple of the different uh, Gospels. And Jesus called to his disciples and he said to them, I have compassion for these people. They've been here with me for three days. They are hungry. I don't want to send them away or they may collapse on the way. This is a pretty practical one. And his disciples said, well, where are we going to get enough bread? And you know the story. He said, gather what we have, and he prayed over it. And again, we see Jesus identifying compassion in other people. These are not people that came to him and said, we're starving, help us. These are people that Jesus looked at the world around him, as we need to, with compassionate hearts. And so he met their physical need. But Jesus also offered people compassion in other ways. One of the major ways is by offering relationship and value, and there are many examples. Let me just remind you of one. Remember when Jesus was walking through Jericho, and there was a short little guy up in the tree? His name was Zacchaeus. Not a particularly well-loved guy, but he was up there so he could watch. And God noticed him. Jesus noticed him. Isn't that interesting? And he went to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to your house, just so you know. Again, something you didn't do in that culture. 
And people said, what in the world is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus was walking alongside that gentleman. Jesus was bringing value to him. Jesus was seeing in him a child of God, not somebody who was despised because of his occupation and because of the things he did that weren't really quite right. Jesus spent time with people, and he loved them. He did not condemn them, but he pointed them to a new life. And the last passage is the one that I have found has really stopped me dead in my tracks. Matthew 20, Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and again, a large crowd of people followed him. It would be noisy. Two men who could not see were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd said, be quiet. And they yelled again, even louder. Jesus stopped. in the middle of this wild, loud crowd of people, and he stopped. And he said, what do you want me to do? I want us to talk about the stopping for a second. Many of you will know of a study that happened some years ago in Princeton, where two research decided, two research decided they wanted to figure out something, and they met with some seminarians. Seminarians are people who say, I probably want to be in vocational ministry. That's what turns my crank. That's what I feel God is calling me to. They asked them, why are you, why are you thinking of ministry? And they said, we are here because we want to help people. So they gave them this task, and half of the group was given a task of writing a piece about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, nope. That's not what it was, but that would have been a really good assignment as well. It was about the Good Samaritan. So they went off and wrote this piece about what it meant to be an unexpected person of grace and mercy and compassion in the life of somebody else. The rest got another assignment. Then they brought them all together, and they said to them, now the place where you're going to actually present these is across the campus. And they gave three different groups three different messages before they sent them out. To the first group, they said, you know what, you're actually already late. The people are there, and they're waiting for you, so, like, get going. To the middle group, they said, you know what, you have about two minutes, so you really should, should move along. Um, the people are waiting for your presentation. This is where to go. And to the third group, they said, take your time. It's coming up in about half an hour. Just make sure you're there on time. Along the way, they planted an actor. You know where this is going, and it's going nowhere good for us. They planted an actor who didn't look like an actor, who was in clear distress, moaning and groaning. You could not miss the fact that this person, between where they were and where they were to do their presentation, needed help. You want to know the number? Of the people who said, I want to be in full-time ministry to help people, and I am going, catch the irony, and I'm going to talk about being a good Samaritan. 90% of those people did not stop. 90%. The best number they got were the people in the last group who said, you've got lots of time, take your time, it'll be fine. Of that group, about 65% of them did stop. Some of the people literally walked over the man to get to give their really important presentation about what it meant to be people of compassion. I don't know what that does for you, but I've heard that study many times, decided to include it, and since deciding that, have been convicted of at least three situations in my life when I think I am actively doing that right now. 
Now, some of you will come to me, you do this, and say, oh, Donna, don't worry, this is who you are. I, hear me. Hear me. We all do this. We are in a hurry. Life is full of so many good things. Jesus stopped. And then the second thing he did is he said to them, what, what do you want? Of course, Jesus would know the answer to that, but we often don't. And this would be my second great caution for us. Ask people what they need. A good example would be around the issue of poverty. For many people, like you and I, when we think and talk about poverty, we almost always, the research shows, would think of poverty in things we don't have, like material things we don't have, or people wouldn't have, like a lack of food, or a lack of money, or lack of housing, or lack of transportation. But when researchers go to people who are in that situation, what do they talk about? They talk about things like being alone. They talk about inferiority. They talk about being powerless. They talk about shame. They talk about hopelessness and humiliation and depression. They talk about socialization and they talk about not having a voice. And yet we so often come in and try to fix people rather than seeing them as Jesus sees them and showing his part of heart of compassion. And if we do that as fixers, we can so easily hurt people rather than the opposite. So beware that we don't come in thinking that we are the haves to help the have-nots, that we are the powerful serving the powerless, that we have unbalanced relationships that enable us to be on the giving end only. This might make us feel super good about ourselves and feel like we've checked off a box in our life of discipleship that's about compassion, but it doesn't really reflect the need that we have to see and to really see people. Nobody wants to be your project. What they're looking for are people who actually care. People who will actually walk day by day through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Many of you will know there are groups of Christians all over the world who have taken this stance and have said, what we're going to do is move into communities. We may not ever meet like this, but we're going to take small groups of us and we're going to move into communities and be the light and the hope of Jesus right there. Some people have said things like, not only do I say my house belongs to God and is a gift from God, but I'm always going to live in a house that has an extra bedroom. And I'm going to believe that God is always going to send me somebody else to share that space. There are so many huge things you can do and so many small things. So let me give you just a few encouragements as we close. If you're wondering where to start, I have two questions that I'd encourage you to ask. The first one is, what really breaks your heart about the world around you? What really breaks your heart? And then the second is, what gives you life? What do you love to do? Or what has shaped your life in a way that you now have a passion for? And it may be that there's something that you have a passion for that has come from an experience you never asked for. But God has brought you through it with wisdom and compassion because you've lived it. And your lived experience then becomes a gift that you can share with other people. Pray. Ask God for eyes to show you people around you where he is calling you. And be encouraged when you go on this mission, you don't go alone. You go co-missioned with Jesus. And his spirit will lead you and guide you. Remember, this is the work of the heart. 
Those of us that are terribly cerebral, sometimes we need to just put that in check. And remember, this is work of the heart. People know how you feel about them. People will know if you're doing things because they are a project or if because you really have a heart of Jesus. And I'd also encourage you to think about individuals more than global causes. I am not suggesting global causes are not important. But sometimes we are so bombarded by information about global things that we can become emotionally and practically detached from the situation. John Vanier, who founded the L'Arche Communities, um, had this wonderful quote that said, while we are alone, it's easy to believe that we love everyone. Isn't that great? While we are alone, it's easy to believe that we love everyone. So his point here is that if we love the world, if we love generically and abstractly, we can trick ourselves into believing we love everybody. Sometimes as Christian, we imagine ourselves to be kind and compassionate people, embracing all of, all of humanity, because after all, we are Christian. Sometimes that's so much easier than dealing with an individual in our lives with great needs. And so I encourage you to look for an individual. Perhaps it's somebody in your family that you wrote off a long time ago. And it doesn't really matter why that happened. Perhaps it's somebody at work, perhaps it's somebody at school that nobody ever sits with. You fill in the blank in your life. I want to end with a sobering note without apology. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us a parable about a king who separates people into two groups. And to one of them, he commends them for caring for him. We love this part of the parable, right? And he says to them, you have done. You have done as you should. And they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did I see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And he said, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. I have great comfort if we stop there. But it doesn't stop. There's a second group of people. And to them he said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It has been said, we love God only as much as the person that we love the least. We love God only as much as the person we love the least. May God enable us to truly see people as Jesus does, to have his heart of compassion, every day. If some of you are here sitting and looking at me and saying, Don, if you knew my life right now, you would know this isn't the right season for me to be thinking about this. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. My life is kind of a mess. I'm in the middle of some big stuff. I hear you. My heart hears you. <laughs> I've lived this life. But I'm also here to tell you that I claim what it says on my bio on the back page of that sheet, and it wasn't written just for today, it always says the sentence which says, I would say that my personal best learnings of life have come from experiencing the love of God and his people when? Through times of challenge and difficulty. Many people in this room could stand up here and tell us the things they have learned about seeing others 
as Jesus sees them through various lenses that they have lived that they never experienced. Those weren't the people I was expecting. <laughs> it's not a surprise that Mark Carlos works downtown with people there in ministry. It's not a surprise that Pam Ronson is in the middle of some vital ministry with people in the middle of grief share. We learn so much when through every part of life we let God speak to us. And in a moment, Mike and Allie are gonna come and share some of the things they've been learning in the middle of their journey as parents of two adorable children, little baby Shay and her big brother, James Michael. Before they do that, we are gonna watch this video as we introduce to you this journey that they have been on with their son, James Michael. 